Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. My mom says my neighborhood school isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education possible? Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego and the Education Synergy Alliance. We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids. We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something. It should be an excellent school in every community. Enjoy the show. Well, uh, we have touched a nerve. Laura, I'm Scott Lewis. I'm Laura Cohn. And uh, we have, I'm proud, we've touched a little nerve. We've touched many nerves, actually. We're going to share one example, but I've, I've been getting some passionate passionate emails and commentary from oh, yeah? the community. Yeah. Good, good, good. Well, let's jump right in. We asked recently that folks uh, call in if you have something to say or, or react to some of our story discussions and topics. And, you know, obviously we're not able to cover these issues, you know, fully in depth with each episode, but... We've gotten far enough that we've touched um, t- touched some nerves. And so Sally, uh, Sally Cox called in and related the story. And this was re- in, in reaction to our very first episode, which was about early childhood education. And in particular, one part of that episode we talked about a little bit, but it, this seems to have caught a lot of people's attention. And, and it's something that, that they're passionate about, which is this... And that you're passionate about. Yeah, exactly. It's this transition between kindergarten or between preschool and kindergarten. And I witnessed just how difficult it was for my son. Turns out I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. So let's listen to what Sally Cox had to say about her own experience with this. This is Sally Cox and I live in East San Diego County. I am very passionate about the issue you covered because we have been struggling greatly with my three and seven year old on educational issues. My son is in first grade, but he is really struggling. He went to a private play-based pre-K for 18 months and he was well prepared for kindergarten, we thought. In kindergarten now, kids are expected to be reading by October, and it came very slow for my son. His kindergarten teacher let us know that he was going to be left behind in December because he couldn't keep up. And she also let us know it was pretty much hopeless for him in kindergarten. Him not participating in transitional kindergarten was blamed, but he also didn't qualify for uh, transitional kindergarten. Needless to say, we switched schools when he started first grade and school districts, but he's never been able to catch up. The reading expectations are so high, but the interventions don't really address kids that might have learning disabilities, dyslexia, other challenges. He can read, but it's coming slow, and he's considered well below grade grade level in first grade. 
um, I'm just surprised that you could be well below grade level in first grade and still be able to read. We are having them tested privately because um, the public school testing found that the disparities in his intelligence and his reading ability um, could be handled by the teacher. Um, at seven years old, he hates school and um, homework is miserable for us. Now I have a daughter who will be, who should be going to pre-K in the fall, but there she doesn't qualify for transitional kindergarten or early kindergarten. And um, the preschool that she's in, I don't see her as preparing any better than it did for my son. And so now we're worried about what to do for our three-year-old to prepare her for kindergarten and actually considered hiring a tutor for her. So, you know, I think that the alignment issues between expectations in kindergarten and how children are prepared in preschool really need to be dealt with. I um, I do have to say I greatly appreciate my son's first grade teacher. She's working so hard to help him, but he just can't meet the high expectations that have come about in um, under Common Core. Obviously, this uh, touched me because I... I I identify with a lot of that, uh, you know, and I, I have a hard time with that discussion of, you know, when my son says he hates going to school or he dreads it, I remember hating going to school and dreading it. Mm. it at what point does that cross a line to where it's a potential problem for his entire life? There, It crosses a line right away. The one goal I feel like we should have before reading in October of kindergarten year, which has me deeply concerned. Um, but anyway, is that we want kids to be loving learning and loving school. They're five, six, seven years old. Uh, we, there are lots of ways to make school fun uh, that our teachers at that grade level, uh, at those grade levels should be utilizing. So um, that's a huge concern for me. You had some discussions about Sally's email and, and comments to us. Uh, what was What were kind of some of the themes that came out of that? Yeah, Sally's story raised so many important issues for the uh, for the region, for both early childhood educators and elementary educators and all of us who are trying to help build a better transition that I shared it with her permission and without her name. I shared it with a lot of the partners of the Education Synergy Alliance working on P3. And we've we had a good discussion about it at a meeting recently, and I got a lot of email responses to it. So the kinds of things that um, the kinds of reactions and issues that are embedded in Sally's story, there are a lot of them, but some of them are. First of all, that she's come to, in her mind, think that maybe play-based preschool is not appropriate and won't get children ready for kindergarten. But preschool should be play-based. The very best preschools um, support children through play to learn some of the basics of literacy and numeracy numbers um, that they need. But they do it in a way that's play-based and fun and exploratory. Um, and so I, I don't want our listeners to... Um, to conclude that play-based preschool is necessarily bad quality, but it does require a really skillful preschool provider to um, to do play in a way that helps kids learn what they need to learn to have successful transition into kindergarten. But the other, on the other side, um, we really need to to help our elementary schools to be very thoughtful about what are appropriate. 
um, expectations are for our, for our young kids coming into school and not to indict their prior experiences if they're not hitting the ground running. Um, we need to welcome and celebrate all of our kids coming in and then just support them, help them to do well, to learn to read, to learn to do math at the levels they need to do. So this sort of um, shaming and sense of failure that this family has experienced as a result of the struggles that her son has had are really a, that's a really bad outcome. And that, that caused a strong reaction among my partners um, to this story as well. I think what really struck me about what she said is something that I've felt too, and I've tried to put words to it. There's something really hard when the adults at a school communicate to you that something is wrong, right? And it's, sure. and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it hits you at your core I'm very fortunate that our son is succeeding academically. You know, his his reading and his math are very strong. So I, I I can't really sympathize with that part as much as I can say like obviously this other stuff is 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 difficult too. And I and I and that when that like it really is it really feels like an indictment and it becomes something like you have you you, you suddenly find yourself confused almost like you did when you first had the baby you know mm. like like i don't know what to do now i don't you know what do i do where do i seek help where do i make sure i find uh help to learn about what he's dealing with about what the school's dealing with about how to set expectations for him and, and so I, I i mean that's just just kind of what struck me the other thing that struck me too is about these these standards i i learned in first grade how to read have we moved everything up a lot lately like it, it yeah. does seem, I mean, he is, I'm very lucky. Like my son's reading actually quite astonishing well, but, yeah. but that I never would have thought that would have been possible when he was five. Yeah. There has been some ratcheting up of the expectations in kindergarten. There's just no two ways about it. And um, some of that is increasing recognition of what kids can do and what is possible when you get kids in a really great um, again, not overly academic or structured, but just really rich um, learning environment, both preschool and in kindergarten, then a lot of kids actually can read um, by the end of kindergarten, and that's great. Whether they must read at the end of kindergarten um, is something that, that I question because everything I know about reading development, and I am no expert in literacy, is that um, there's a range of normal for when reading kind of kicks in and that's what the experts describe is that there's you know something neurological about this that kicks in at different times for different kids and that's entirely normal and we need our schools to be in we need our schools to be able to adapt to that range of normal among our kids and yet to to have high expectations for all of them and be supporting them to succeed i i, I know that's a little ambiguous but that flexibility and recognition of the range of normal is what we want to see our educators understanding and able to support. Help me understand, what is your understanding about what, I, I guess at the heart of a lot of these discussions and what she, what Sally was dealing with as well is, is where it, it becomes the, the parent's problem to like, okay, you got to figure out how to get him up to speed or whatever. But what's the school's responsibility? I mean, the school has to deal with the kid no matter what. The kid gets to go to school, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, and so it's it's public school anyway. In private school, um, not necessarily. Sure. Private schools often will kick out kids that they find troublesome or that they deem to be behind. Um, and actually, there's a phenomenon that's come to light over the last few years of 
preschool expulsions and suspensions that um, for you know what? luckily yes it's a big it's actually it happens quite a lot and fortunately we're talking about it now so it's happening a little bit less the last few years but um, yeah the indictment on the parents both explicit or or that the parents feel anyway um, is huge it's it's uh, and not appropriate. Well, so here's a one of the things that was in her uh, comment as well was this discussion about transitional kindergarten, and uh, that's the program my son's in actually. And uh, I've I you know the teacher's astounding, and I'm, I'm very happy that that was available to him. On the other hand, it it is a weird uh, situation where I'm almost worried that he's going to get get advanced enough academically that he probably should continue on to like first grade, but then his, his other stuff of conforming and all that stuff might, might, it gets us in a weird world where like, I can't really say to him, you should put him in first grade because I think that's where academically he'll be more appropriate. But I also can't, I, I also understand I've watched how he doesn't fit, you know, he's not fitting well in the, in the conformity side of things. So I, I find it both wonderful that it's there, but also kind of confusing as well. Uh, Scott, it, transitional kindergarten is, is actually a pet peeve of mine. Really? Yes. <laughs> as a, as a proud policy wonk, I find transitional kindergarten to be a really terrible public policy. And here's why. It's a, gr- a new grade level that mm-hmm. California has created that's only available to one-fourth of our kids right now, the ones born between September 2nd and December 2nd of, um, of the incoming year. And so that means that it's this privilege, this entitlement is the word that a lot of people use, that's only available if you happen to get pregnant and give birth in a, in a certain little window. The other weird thing about it, stay with me here, is that what we're giving is a free extra year of public schooling to the oldest incoming kindergartners. And so there's always for a kindergarten teacher a gap, if you will, an achievement gap, if you will, between their oldest kids and their youngest kids because developmentally they're about 20% apart, the youngest kids and the oldest kids. And here we are investing extra resource, extra public resource in the oldest incoming kindergartners where logically you might think that we would invest in the youngest incoming kindergartners or at least in um, the ones who are least able to afford private preschool. But instead we've just picked, and there's a reason we did it because we backed up the kindergarten entry age a few years back and we felt like we were removing an entitlement from a set of families who weren't prepared for the loss of that um, year of of a public school. And so we sort of kludged it by creating this thing we called transitional kindergarten, but um, it's, it creates a lot of problems, including confusion as Sally reported by both educators and parents. So she has teachers blaming her son's struggles on the absence of transitional kindergarten when he never even could have qualified for it. Could you solve your issues though, by just saying it's open to everyone? Sure. You could do universal pre-K, but then you're just, adding a, uh, like you said, entitlement that's probably vastly expensive. Right. Multiple billions. Well, the governor wants to change all this again. Yes, he does. And let's, uh, the Capital Public Radio, let's turn to Ben Adler at the Capital Public Radio who who did a report recently on what, what Governor Brown wants to do that would change this whole world entirely. Brown wants to combine three state-funded early education programs, strip their requirements, and let each local school district decide how to best spend the money. But there's a catch. 
districts must prioritize low-income and at-risk four-year-olds. Michael Cohen is the governor's top budget aide. We're trying to increase local flexibility and make sure that the dollars are focused on helping the poorest students. But Democratic Assemblyman Kevin McCarty isn't sold on the plan. It doesn't have any resources to focus on improved quality, and it would get rid of a, a TK system, which is only a few years old, which has produced some great results to date. Okay, let's be clear. It, it doesn't necessarily get rid of it. The governor packages all the money, gives it to school districts, and says, you decide what you want to do, right? Right. So it would effectively get rid of transitional kindergarten because it's... Um it's removing that program, also removing our state's vast uh, state preschool program, packaging them together and handing districts a chunk of money to do early education. But pri- they would be required under this proposal to prioritize the lowest income students. And right now, transitional kindergarten is available to any student, regardless of income, in that in that magic uh, so the, birthday window. The school districts couldn't just just keep doing the same thing, but just run it themselves? Under the current proposal, no, they wouldn't be able to afford to do that because uh, they would be um, required to prioritize the lowest income students regardless of birthday. This is a giant change. So uh, this is from EdSource, the the statewide education news source. Uh, They said the proposal would make a substantial change to, to TK, the transitional kindergarten. The program currently must serve all children regardless of family income, but under the proposal, districts could decide whether to funnel funds only to low income children or charge wealthier parents a fee if they want their child to participate. So yeah, gigantic change, but potentially uh, we're going to talk to somebody from the Vista school district, uh, Matt Doyle, who's working on this particular issue of transitioning kids from preschool to uh, elementary school. And he, he uh, answers what, what he thinks might happen with that proposal as well. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that conversation. The state preschool program right now is vastly underfunded, the reimbursement rates to providers are really too low for them to deliver the level of quality that we want. And also the family qualifying levels are also too low. It's a really um, messed up, that's a technical term, messed up public policy itself. So on the one hand, the governor, I see where he's coming from. He's got these two um, pretty flawed public policies, transitional kindergarten and state preschool. And he's thinking, let's just let's just restart. Let's start with a blank slate and put them all together and ask our school districts to see if uh, see how they can do better by them. But uh, it's a radical change. He didn't consult with uh, the community about it and um, he doesn't add any money to it. And the system needs more money in it. All right. Well, this is something we're going to talk about a lot. I imagine this was, uh, if you you have any thoughts, what uh, kind of experience did you have? If you're an educator in this world, love to hear from you as well, uh, trying to deal with this transition. Uh, and if you have any any thoughts about any of what we've talked about, about how kids are making this transition, about transitional kindergarten, about whether you would participate if you could qualify, that sort of thing, please call 619-354-1085. That's 619-354-1085. Leave your name and, and what part of the uh, region or 
world you're calling from and uh, and also what you're dealing with. And, and um, you know, we hope to use that. So if you don't do that unless you specify at the beginning, you don't want to be quoted. Uh, but if uh, if you if you do, if you don't say anything, we'll assume you do. Again, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can also text that number, by the way, if you want. 619-354-1085. Let's move on to our number of the week. So our number of the week is the number of transitional kindergartners we have in the region because that, as um, we talked about earlier, is actually a relatively new grade level. It was just started up a couple of years ago, three years ago, actually. Um, And already after just three years, we have 6,846 children last school year in transitional kindergarten. And we know for sure that there are a lot more of them in the current 15-16 school year. Already that number from 14-15, that's 6,800, is a 67% increase over the 13-14 school year. Wow. So people are into it. Yeah. School districts are into it and uh, families are into it. They're taking advantage of it. Okay. And our what's working for the week? What's working is the Quality Preschool Initiative. Now stay with me, Scott. Stay with me, listeners. The QPI. Is the QPI. <laughs> the Quality Preschool Initiative is funded by our local first five, which is mainly tobacco tax money, but it's also receiving some federal and other state funding. And what it does is it rates the quality of our state preschool and Head Start programs in San Diego County. And it's working really well because the San Diego County Office of Education, which implements the QPI, is implementing it really well. They've put great structures in place to both do the evaluations, but also to support the preschools to use the information they get from the evaluations to improve and to get the right kind of professional development. Now, I'm gonna put a little qualification on that. It's what it may be working, but it's not public yet, or it's not being released or presented to the public, right? Yeah, I guess a, we could request it. My understanding is that they plan to publish these results. In other words, make them available to parents soon, but they haven't yet. And that's the exciting potential of QPI is that not only is it a way to help improve our local child care, but it's also a way to help parents be smarter consumers of child care because they will be able to know the know the difference or know the relative quality of the child care that they're shopping for. So Getting it public is a next frontier and also broadening it so that the rating system is being used for more providers is also another promising frontier for um, child care. And that would help um, parents like Sally to know how to find and pick and get their kid involved in the best quality child care possible. Yeah, ostensibly if there was a school that was a lot better recognized for that transitional quality, like it was it was... It was, you know, demonstrably able to help kids prepare for that transition to kindergarten. That should stand out. It might be something that uh, either is scalable or, or something that, uh, you know, it attracts a lot of parents. Absolutely. All right. We're joined now with Matt Doyle. Matt is uh, with the Vista School District, correct, Matt? Yes, I am. Yeah. What's your title there? I'm the executive director of innovation for Vista Unified. Okay, cool. So uh, you are right on the front lines of this discussion that we're having about this transition from preschool to kindergarten. I knew when we obviously I'm I'm working through it with my own son. 
and I knew that other parents were thinking about. I had no idea it had, it was such a passionate and, and interesting issue to so many people. So tell me what you're trying to do at Vista. I know this is just one of the transitions you guys are trying to work through and and make more seamless, right? Yes, uh, we this is a we actually have identified that transition from preschool into kindergarten as probably the single greatest transition a child can make as they develop their cognitive academic abilities for college and careers. So for us. This is the number one issue with regard to ensuring students have an uninterrupted learning path as they move into the traditional K-12 setting. So share with us a little bit about how a school district can approach that. What what have you done and what do you think you might be able to do next? Well, what we have done in Vista Unified is we've uh, established a very robust partnership with um, the United Way of San Diego, creating a partnership for children so that we can ensure that not only are we um, connecting the different agencies within our, um, our vicinity, um, our, the neighborhoods within our schools, um, and connecting parents to the different types of services, wraparound services students need to be successful in school. So not only academic, but social emotional. So what we're doing with the partnership is creating conversations among organizations so that we can collaborate and, and um, align our support systems so that parents aren't um, um, taking advantage of some systems but missing the opportunities for others. For example, there might be opportunities for, for students to get engaged in um, the public library prior to entering kindergarten, but the parents may not be aware of that. Or there may be opportunities for early health screenings or or um, vision and hearing screenings prior to moving into the kindergarten setting so that we can um, provide them necessary skills. So connecting parents and organizations um, in meaningful ways prior to coming into kindergarten can really give those students a jump on their um, intellectual and academic um, challenges. And you've also worked hard to put preschools right on your elementary school campuses. Yeah, so in addition to working with uh, the United Way, we've partnered with the San Diego County Office of Education and Educational Enrichment Systems to bring early childhood ed right onto the campuses of uh, 12 of our schools. We have uh, 16 elementary schools, and 12 of them have early childhood ed programs. But that's a pure partnership with Educational Enrichment Systems so that we can ensure that this the seamless transition from preschool into kindergarten occurs not just for students, but for parents. And we found that parents um, and their role they play in, in the students' academic um, abilities is as crucial as the students' transition. What do you think the biggest hitch is right now? When I, you know, when we talked about it a, a few weeks ago, it seemed to be the teacher-student ratio was a big uh, shock in a lot of cases. It's when you're in, in preschool, it's like nine to one. And then when you're in uh, kindergarten, it's suddenly 24 or 23 to one. Is that the biggest issue or what, what other hitches are involved that, that make this an unseamless transition? Uh, well, I think probably the largest issue is student agency. Um, I think when, when you have that's, programs... Matt, you're going to have to interpret that because uh, that's, that's language that a lot of parents and folks out in the community aren't going to understand. Right. So student agency is, is students' um, ability to um, kind of exert their independence as they move into a kindergarten environment. And, and a simple way to say that is when a, when a child is in an early childhood education program on a traditional K-12 campus, they have 
um, lower their affective filter so they feel comfortable on campus, and they under they're getting to know and understanding routines. And they um, visit um, the kindergarten teachers. We have those scheduled um, um, periodically during the course of the school year, so that they're comfortable in the environment. They understand what the expectations are of their interpersonal communication interaction with other students. When they move into a kindergarten classroom, they don't lose two or three months of acclimating to a very different environment that oftentimes seems to them really scary. So they come in as active learners day one into the kindergarten classroom because they have that sense of agency. They understand the environment and they understand what's expected of them. And they know that that support system's in place for them to really jump into learning and, and um, in, engage in meaningful ways. And this is this is what I really picked up on with my son. I think that preschool was very free. There was a lot of free, uh, as you as you called it, agency. There was a lot of uh, independent play and stuff like that. And and then all of a sudden he's he's in a system that's that's uh, pounding sort of conformity to these to these uh, rules and these uh, and these routines and such. And and that it's it's not un- uncommon for that that to be kind of a shock. It's, have you noticed any difference between boys and girls? Uh, is that a, is is it seems like I keep getting I keep hearing from people like oh it's just it's just boys that their problem <laughs> it's the, uh, anything like that. Well, yeah, we know historically that that boys um, struggle with an ultra structured environment. They like a little bit more room to wiggle around in on on many levels. So yes, uh, boys um, have a little bit harder transition. But you know, one one point. I think it's really important to not often point it out with regard to early childhood ed and and that transition into a traditional um, K-12 environment is that the reciprocal impact that early childhood ed has on kindergarten and first grade teachers, because you brought up this point about ultra-rigid structure in kindergarten and first grade. And what we're finding with these programs, the educational enrichment system programs on our campuses is that they're actually helping the kindergarten teachers and the first grade teachers back off a little bit on the structure because they've recognized that students in early childhood ed and the kindergarten students still five years old or six years old, they need a little bit of space to experiment and really develop their agency. So I bring up the word agency on purpose because we want students ultimately to be self-regulated, meaning that they're, they're becoming learners and they're learning how to learn. Um, and the only way to do that is to, is to ensure that there's a balance between structure and free exploration. Well, so we we listened to a testimony from a parent earlier, and she described the really uh, that her son was struggling because he wasn't reading at the end of kindergarten, wasn't reading at the end of first grade, and um, there's a lot of consternation coming from the elementary school about that. And the and, and her interpretation is that maybe he wasn't ready for kindergarten. What what what's your perspective on that, or what's Vista Unified's perspective on on that kind of um, experience of a parent and a student? Well, we, there, it's difficult to, to draw a conclusion about an individual student, but yeah, there are many nice. students that in kindergarten and then they're not, they're not kind of developmentally ready to move into um, reading um, by themselves. Um, but our perspective on that is we need to have systems of support in place that um, provide, you know, the necessary intervention for those types of students, whether it be, um, and uh, additional year, we have a uh, transitional kindergarten in our system, um, and then we have kindergarten, and that's certainly something that uh, students can take advantage of. Or when they move into the kindergarten or first grade system, um, we're mo- moving toward more of a personal learning approach in our district, 
where we take students where they are and we build upon their strengths and their interests. And we've, we've found this as we're tapping into a, a, a five-year-old or a six-year-old strengths and interests, um, uh, literacy and, and their ability to learn how to read actually comes a lot faster than we can imagine um, rather than just kind of um, pushing this this rigid approach to, you know, phonics and phonemic awareness development. So sometimes students need a little bit more time and we need to recognize that that time isn't necessarily a negative. Uh, all right. We have one more question for you. We were just talking about the governor's proposal to really upend and disrupt a lot of what, what was been even just recently established in the, in the transitional kindergarten world, especially. Do you have any thoughts about how VISTA might react if that was the law? Well, we have had many conversations about the governor's proposal, and what we believe, we firmly believe that every school district needs to focus on creating an uninterrupted learning path or a learning continuum. And this idea of of engaging parents, even at the prenatal stage, and putting support structures in place academically and socially emotional from prenatal all the way up into grade three is one of our central areas of focus. And I believe one of the central areas of focus for every school district in California. So his proposal does at least begin the conversation about how can we create an articulated learning path for students. Clearly the funding, there are some significant funding issues related to the proposal and also some significant issues related to current nonprofit early childhood education programs that are, that are fantastic uh, early, um, Educational risk system is an example of that. So there's a lot of unanswered questions. But one kind of positive I see coming out of the proposal is this uh, this forced um, uh, need for all organizations to have a conversation about how it can create an, an articulated learning path. Matt, my understanding is that Vista, regardless of the fate of the governor's proposal, is planning to prioritize P3 and that uninterrupted path in your budget next year through your local control accountability plan. Yeah, our, our local control accountability plan, the, the LCAP plan, um, has in it one of the central tenets of that plan is to make sure that we not only grow, but put kind of priority number one, just focus on creating an uninterrupted learning path from prenatal all the way to grade three. Now, that's a long-term plan, probably more than three years, but um, we are committed to that. That's a central component of our um, of our academic structure. All right. Well, uh, Matt, can't thank you enough for joining us. Uh, uh, we have uh, a lot to think about here, and this probably won't be our only show on this, so uh, stay tuned. If you have more, any, any more thoughts, just let us know. Matt Doyle at, at uh, Vista School District, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks, Bye. Matt. All right, thank you. And we are right in the midst at the actual peak, the climax, if you will, of our spring membership campaign at Voice San Diego, so if you appreciate this this studio and and uh, this little computer that runs this thing they all cost money so we could sure appreciate as much help as you might uh, be considering providing for that we do have actually an update since we first recorded the uh, the call from Sally about uh, her situation about the about the district she's in tell us uh, what what happened since then I was able to share the email that Sally originally sent with her testimony um, with Sally's permission to the school district where her son is enrolled. And the district um, was really appreciative of getting the feedback and the information. Not only have they been working to help Sally and her family with, um, with their situation with their son, but they also have used her story 
as the basis for training for their principals and dialogue with um, other folks that they're doing professional development with. So um, we're really, they're really glad that that Sally shared this uh, story with us. And she shared it because this podcast, podcast changing the world already, huh? All right. All right. Let's do more. <laughs> this has been the Good Schools for All podcast in, in partnership, of course, with Voice of San Diego and the Education Synergy Alliance. Mm-hmm.